listeners, and welcome back to the Possibly Haunted Podcast. Yay! She's taking care of herself like she should be. So, um, got any uh, healing vibes out there? Send them, send them her way. She could always use a spare. Surround her with um, white light. All, whatever good vibes you got. I'm sending those good vibrations. <laughs> I was about to start singing with you, but I knew I was just gonna throw it off. <laughs> yeah, the lag is uh, not as bad as normal, but uh, with, with yeah, there's some stuff there. Oh, and there's Scully in our screen. You can't see. Her. Her, but she's so cute. Okay, so today's topic is basically <laughs> Christmas traditions based on pagan practices because you know we just gotta do it. I know we just did one for uh, Halloween, but uh, I was still feeling that vibe and I wanted to see where what we could find for Christmas. Before we go too far into it, um, we're gonna start off with our coven corner, which just keeping it keeping it light, keeping it simple. Uh, your favorite Christmas drink, alcoholic or not? Who wants to start? I mean, I can. Go um, ahead. So I am a big fan of mulled wine, like a big mm. fan of mulled wine, especially <laughs> if someone puts like rum—not rum, but like whiskey in it. Um, so it's like mulled wine and then some whiskey. Um, it's so good. And I drink too much of it. But there is a drink that is similar to a mulled wine but less alcoholic, which is nice for me, um, at Trader Joe's right now called Wassel. And uh, so it's like a cranberry juice-based drink and then it's spiced. So it's nice and fruity but also spiced. So, um, well, Kat got hers, so... Uh, yeah, so mine is definitely a peppermint hot chocolate with or without peppermint schnapps or a peppermint mocha. I'm, I'm all about uh, peppermint at Christmas time. <laughs> peppermint chocolate is the most disgusting flavor combination. It's the best flavor combination. War on Christmas is what just came out of your mouth. War on mintiness. War on mintiness. That's my war on Christmas is saying that peppermint chocolate is the worst. Well, that and um, what your your hatred of Christmas music, but that's okay. Yeah, that, <laughs> which is going to be ironic I in a second. Made my drink <laughs> the peppermint hot chocolate or like peppermint mocha, something like that. But um, and then I totally remembered I am a cinnamon gal, <laughs> which uh, we discussed at length outside of recording last time we recorded. Because my podcast, Personalized Tea, has cinnamon in it, and we were freaking out because they weren't labeled, and Carson is 
Carson's horribly allergic to cinnamon and it's like all I love I like I have cinnamon plugins and I have like real cinnamon sticks like all over my house like she can't come into my house unless I have like four hours of like all of that put away but um uh cats cats or cinnamon I've got the C's if you're allergic um <laughs> but so my favorite drink is actually a cinnamon hot chocolate um I in Texas, it's called Mexican hot chocolate. I was about to say, kind of like Mexican hot chocolate? That's, yeah. what they, that's what they call it here, too. But we make ours with, like, um, some type of, like, chili powder in it, too. Yes. So that's okay. what I'm talking about. So um, there's two different ones, depending on where you are in Texas. Mexican hot chocolate, you should be, like, just straight up. You make the, uh, like, you do old-fashioned milk cocoa bark or cocoa bits, and then you actually put the cinnamon stick in it to let it kind of boil into it. Um, and then other parts, it's cinnamon plus the chili powder. Either way, mm-hmm. absolutely freaking delicious. And um, I've tried it once with alcohol with a, actually whiskey, like a cinnamon whiskey. And it was actually pretty decent, pretty good. It's not my favorite way to have hot chocolate. Not my favorite alcohol to have with hot chocolate, but because it was cinnamon, it kind of worked with the overall flavors. I'm not for the spicy and sweet. So, oh, I cat, know. the real worst chocolate combination is Tabasco and chocolate, which they make. That is no, true. That's good. <laughs> Your palate is unselfish. I had chili chocolate. Chili chocolate's so good. That's slightly different than Tabasco chocolate. True. Yes. But I actually the chili love... and Tabasco are very different things. It would... Like, you could put um, a chocolate and chili, and that's, like, spicy, and then you get that little bit of richness from the chocolate. It's really nice. Oh, I completely agree. Um, I would actually love to have a little Instagram, like, video of y'all, like, sparring off in the corners. We've got mint and chocolate, and then spicy and chocolate. Ooh, like, cool. Yeah. Oh, I said fire. Okay, I'm already, I'm already planning it. Anyways, um, yeah, so those are our favorite drinks. Slight, slight variety. I like it, yes. Kat has given us and the eyebrows. Bentley is, uh, Bentley is a puppuccino. Oh, Bentley loves hot chocolate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's been trying to get into her tea. At the old house, oh, my yeah. mom accidentally left a cup, um, like, on the little ottoman in between the chairs. And we walked out for, like, two seconds. And I was like, oh, your cup. It walked back in, and his whole face was in the mug. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Scully likes a puppuccino, too, on occasion. I've given her, like, two like mini ones, like teeny tiny ones. I negotiate with the baristas and I'm like, listen, just like one little skirt, squirt. I don't want like an entire cup. And so yeah. she's technically had two of those. And um, now every time we drive through a Starbucks, cause I take her on a, um, a fun little trip. She like goes completely insane when she sees the <laughs> Starbucks symbol. I told her she's that's karma for every time she took Bentley and I to Starbucks and was like, "Does he need a puppuccino?" I'm like, "No." And then get all he the- does not need a cup of whipped cream. <laughs> His tiny little body with all that energy, <laughs> all See, that poop. You can't be all the the cool aunt now. You're you're the straight up mom, so you've got to actually deal with the consequences of your actions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, okay, so. Um, if you're listening, if you want to comment on whatever posts this might be, tell us what your favorite Christmas time drink, alcoholic or not, is. I'll probably ask y'all somewhere on social media. Just find me. <laughs> um, so we're going to get started with our topic. And uh, does anyone really want to go first, or are they okay with me starting? I mean, go ahead. 
Yeah, go for it. Cool. I'm just, I get, like, I, I don't know if y'all have noticed, I get super pumped and my voice gets louder and louder as we get into it, so, um. Not to mention, it seems you and I have a teeny bit crossover, so I don't want to spoil anything for you, because I know you're excited about and it. And I'm going to literally mention the word of your topic, but that is it. <laughs> because, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of crossover because we're talking about one specific holiday, so, um, and Carson's was going to be why we celebrate on the day that we celebrate, and so, we might have her, like, type out a little something later. We all kind of cross over it in our own topics, but mine, I chose to talk about why we use evergreen uh, boughs or trees or wreaths. Um, and I go into a little bit of how trees start becoming more of a thing. But something that I, I found super interesting when, when I was researching all this there were so many websites and people claiming that there is absolutely no connection to pagan traditions with the tree or the evergreens and I'm just like people but the truth is out there the truth is out there. I found it guys I dug I want to believe I want to believe um and I think they were more focusing in on the Christmas tree like the modern day Christmas tree but I have I have connections guys I got I got you um, so first, if you don't know, evergreens are considering, are plants or trees that remain green all year. And so an example, a couple examples of that would be a pine, spruce, or fir tree. F-I-R. Wait, I thought an evergreen was its own type of tree. Is it not? Is, is it a common term? Uh, the way I'm using it is the common yeah. term. There, is there... there a certain tree that's only called an evergreen? I don't think so. I could have sworn there was, I'm like... I'm not sure. Like, you're in the forest, and you go, that's an evergreen, as in, like, that's a spruce. I well, yeah, but, well, I mean, that's... Like, my whole life is so like spruce is go But I mean, around like, here. its species is evergreen. Maybe while I'm doing this, Kat could look up to see if there is a specific evergreen tree. I will look to see if there's a specific evergreen tree, but around here, I know that we just go, oh, it's a forest of evergreens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I guess in my mind, I thought that was synonymous with like saying that's a forest of pine trees. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, yeah. I could see that. I feel like my life is a lie. <laughs> she has another betrayal, guys. She had one earlier this week that we talked about in the last pa- uh, project. Okay, so it no, it's just the general term for things like firs and spruces. Well, uh, we'll send you a video of her reacting to this news. She's very just I'm a lot upset. dumber than I thought You're I not was. Dumb. <laughs> You're not dumb. You're not dumb. just don't see that many trees. <laughs> we're, we're in the desert area. I grew up in central Texas. We have trees. That's true. That's true. You guys I keep talking shrubs. I keep, I keep forgetting. <laughs> Anyways, so, that's, so whenever I say evergreen, that's what I'm talking about. And for a lot of what the what the freaking research would call um, ancient peoples, ancient cultures. Um, these evergreens were symbols of life, fertility, and perse- perseverance words and are used um, mostly with the winter solstice, which is considered the shortest day of the year or the longest night of the year and runs around December 20th to December 22nd, depending on the year and what moon, what the moon wants to do that year. <laughs> um, well, I guess really what the sun wants to do that year, but I, I'm more of a moon person. Um, so what I, what's really cool is I'm focusing mostly on cultures who had a strong worship of sun gods. And... Um, during the winter solstice, this is when their sun god 
would become weak and need to rest and heal. And um, so uh, by bringing the evergreens inside or uh, worshiping the evergreens, it was a symbol of hope that the God would return. Um, and Morgan's giving me a look. Like, I knew we were going to cross over. I was, I was messaging here. It's good, though, because mine is slightly different. Okay, good. And more involved. But I definitely messaged her earlier. I was like, hey, by the way, is this going to be a crossover? <laughs> and I was like, I don't think so, because I didn't look up anything about Evergreen. That's so funny. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few examples of different cultures who, who celebrated uh, this type of thing with the winter solstice. So in Egypt, they would bring in the green palms for Ra, which we talked about in the previous episode. Ooh, full circle connection. What? <laughs> And then the um, the Celts brought in evergreens uh, for their sun or sun-adjacent gods. And I want to make that distinction. Egypt, it was green palms. And Celts, it was evergreens. It's all up. For, I'm just, because I have it in my notes, guys. I have special notes. Okay, so the Vikings also brought in evergreens for Baldur, the god of light and peace. And probably more things, but I'm just going to, that's what I've research i'm looking at more like yes i'm correct um yeah but oh, i was also looking at you because that's an interesting that he's tied to this sort of christmas winter solstice tradition because as i'm sure you and cat also know and listeners if you do or do not know that the only thing that can kill or harm balder is mistletoe which of course has a strong connection with the Christmas yeah. traditions. So it was interesting <laughs> and I'm that like, he's associated with Christmas. Balder. We're Do all looking, we're just looking at each other you. really excited and nervous. <laughs> also, in you know, the anime I missing, mentioned at the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, Balder's in it, and so my brain just goes, Balder! <laughs> See, <laughs> I went an entirely other geeky thing, because there was a game called Balder's Gate. Oh, I love Balder's Gate. Balder's Gate was so rad. So, oh my god. <laughs> Lit. As the kids say, to hear her use that non sarcastically. I did hear some <laughs> kids at the grocery store looking at groceries and they went, Oh, that is dank. But what? I don't know if I want groceries it's, that are dank. Groceries. <laughs> I was like, What does dank mean? <laughs> oh, Generation okay. Z. yeah okay so continuing on um this one's a little more involved which is pretty cool and this is where we get a little taste of where one of the things that influenced christmas's connection to christianity words um with the romans words connected it wow what words (laughs) well you're not wrong okay so the romans um they celebrated a week-long festival i'm gonna pronounce this wrong Saturnalia? That's how I thought it was. Um, basically Saturn with A-L-I-A attached. And this was December 17th through the 25th. Uh, uh, 25th Christmas. Okay. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> so this was in honor of Saturn, their agricultural god. Um, and so they brought in evergreen uh, boughs and they had lights and they even exchanged presents. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, this was considered a lawless week because no one could be persecuted, pros- sorry, prosecuted for any crime. It's the purge. I was going to say, no, it's purge I Christmas edition. I almost wrote purge on my notes because they, the way they described it was some people um, would blow off steam. And I'm like, is that your nice way of saying breaking all the laws? Like, 
What do you mean by that? So we need to send this episode to the directors of the Purge movies oh. and be like, we have an idea for your next Purge film. Purge and Christmas edition. Style. Oh, wow. Um, however, they did emphasize that even though there were people who blew off steam, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people also participated in kindness and merrymaking. And orgies. Well, that's probably. That's pro- part of merrymaking, guys. Um, so those are just a few things... Um, to kind of give you examples of what the evergreens were doing. Now, we're going to move to the use of the tree, which is highlighted. Do you see? Cat's taking us on a little trip. I was getting another peanut butter bone for uh, Scully, so she's nice and calm. (laughs) So, with the use of the tree, um, this is where we start seeing the first, like, sort of conversion to Christianity. Uh, Specifically, trees... Um, were used in winter rituals by the Vikings and the Saxon who like really um, connected with trees as a whole instead of like just evergreen or just branches. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we're going to, we have a little timeline here for you. In the 8th century, I'm going to pronounce the saint wrong, Saint Boniface? Boniface? Boniface. I was almost there. Boniface. Um, <laughs> Boniface. Boniface. Yeah. Oh. Right there. That's, where, that's where I was going. Um, he saw that pagans were sacrificing um, various things at an oak tree, which was really, really important um, for this culture. We assume it's Saxon Vikings, but look, they were just pagans in, in this guy's eyes. So he cut it down so that they would stop. I know. I know he cut it down. To stop the sacrifices. I thought you were going in a different direction with that. Like at the Halloween episode when the Christians were like, oh, you guys are worshiping that tree? That is now a Christian tree. Oh, well. I thought you were going with that route. Um, a little bit, though. <laughs> so originally, like the first mentions of the story, he just cuts it down. Later, as folklore develops, um, an evergreen took its place, symbolizing a triangle which led to symbolism of Trinity and pointing towards heaven. And so it, I know, (laughs) Um, but that's, that's kind of where we get this slight story. So this is the eighth century. Now we're going to move up towards the medieval period, which is a very long period, but I'm just going to give you a medieval period. And this, the evergreen trees were used as tree of paradise or paradise tree. And that this, theme kind of interplayed with um, mystery plays that were held on December 4th, uh, symbolizing Adam and Eve. And so they either have a straight up tree that was decorated with apples, or they'd have a wooden pyramid with branches tied together with rope. <laughs> um, and they still, but the big, the big decoration for that was apples because of Eve. So then we have, so we have this idea of paradise tree, which is funny because when you think paradise, you don't necessarily think of evergreen, even though... Yeah. Anyways, um, now we're moving on to the Renaissance period, and this is, we're going to be specifically in Germany, where Martin Luther is walking home. He really likes seeing the stars at night and wish he could see it in his own house. Therefore, he lights his trees with candles so he can bring the stars inside his house. If that's not the most romantic, romanticized version of that story. You know who also has bright stars? Hmm. Deep in the heart, Texas. <laughs> um, yeah, there we go. Waiting, waiting for, for Kat to respond. I know she loves that. <laughs> it's my favorite. I like to just clap and make them do that. 
She does. She looks very like she clapped gleefully. Yeah. I, I go real quiet and then I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in all my research, Martin Luther is the first one who's credited with actually starting to actually put candles on the tree. Which I'm sorry, bad idea. That's how fires happen. Do you want fires in your home? Great idea. Fires in your home. <laughs> it's a great idea for like you know reasons like trees don't light on fire. Especially if you're in a super dry area, but you know, we just, it's fine. It's fine. So these three time periods are examples of Christianity positive or positivity uh, towards trees. This is really important because it takes a turn later. So now we're going to, I guess we're in a magic flying school bus or something. We're traveling to the 19th century. And in this century, it's still a big thing in Germany. It actually... Around the same time, we get this idea of nationalism, like the nationalistic movement. So the tree, the Christmas tree, actually gets becomes a symbol for Germany, and uh, it's actually primarily a Protestant tradition, um, which I found interesting. I didn't really think about. Um, and eventually, it starts being adopted by only the uh, European nobility. On these trees, you would get decorations with roses made out of colorful paper, sweets, yeah. apples. Oranges, walnuts. It's a very nature-esque tree, which I think sounds beautiful. It's nice. And delicious. And delicious. <laughs> you know, in elementary school, we would make orange ornaments out of oranges and cloves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, it makes me think of that, because it always smelled really, really, like, spicy but orangey when you did that, because you had to make little holes in the orange and then put the cloves in there. Right. It was really nice. And so for me, that was, like, smell of Christmas. Actually, and, and same thing here. Um, my family actually used to do the, the practice of putting oranges and apples in your stockings. Because that mm-hmm. used to be a, like a really, that was a really uh, luxurious thing back in the day. Especially like my family grew up really, really poor. Like, I mean, the timeline of my family. So back in the day, if you got access to apples and oranges, that was a big fucking deal. So yeah. we kind of practice it just like to remember how far we've actually come. We got so. nuts. I usually get jewelry in my stocking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I get a toothbrush and nuts. <laughs> I have so many comments on that that we will reserve for later. <laughs> um, okay. So we're going to jump a little further now. Now we are in the late 19th, early 20th century. And this is where we point out that Christmas is a really big thing now in the United States. But it, it's, more, it's still kind of a recent phenomenon for us because, um, you know, we had the ger- German practices of the Christmas tree coming in, like, you know, really early with early colonization and all that. But the Puritans wanted the holiday to be taken seriously because they're a bunch of bummers. Um, it was the nicest way I'm going to put that. And um, they saw, they, didn't, they wanted absolutely no connection to pagan ties so there were no trees, no Yule log, no holly, no mistletoe, and no Christmas caroling. Boo. And that's all I'm going to mention because those topics will be explained much more in depth. Yeah, so this is what makes me laugh, that today people claim so hard that there's no pagan traditions, yet the Puritans thought it was something kind of pagan because they didn't allow it. <laughs> um, so I, I just find that really interesting, and this is where we start seeing the negative aspect of the tree in Christianity because earlier it's, it's almost like they were trying to claim it as their own non-pagan tradition and now and now it, we just kind of see a, a mental shift which I think is really interesting um also a lot of the Americans when 
the tree did start becoming popular in the ninth, late 19th, early 20th century, um, they just thought it was odd that you brought a tree into your house and then you put candles in it and like other stuff. But we see the change uh, again when it actually starts becoming popular. And we're, we have we have Queen Victoria and her German husband Albert to thank for that. Yeah, the Germans. She is also the one who made popular the white wedding dress. Ex- oh, well, was that Queen Victoria? I uh, yes, I believe that was, and the wedding cake, the like multi-tiered wedding cake. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so when obviously Albert, he's German, so he brought a lot of those practices over. She absolutely loved him, and she had a lot of uh, pool. And she she was a very extremely popular monarch. All of all of her people. Okay, nope, I'm not gonna overgeneralize. Most of her people really loved her, and she was actually considered a trendsetter. Mm-hmm. So when she's when she has this iconic portrait done of her family next to the Christmas tree, all lit up. Um, all, of a, all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh, we should do that." And all, all these, these these fears of paganism just go to the wayside, and everyone's just jumping on it left and right and now it's all commercialized i bet that's a really good picture it's a really cool picture i might i might post it for mine maybe we'll see um but yeah that's uh again a brief sort of history of how we go from evergreens to trees to he did it in we're gonna say under 25 minutes because the beginning of that was intro i uh I try, I try to make this brief, guys. It's, it's, I get so deep into it. But I, I just thought it was really cool um, about the practices and, like, just stuff that, like, we always joke. Like, aha, uh-huh, Christmas is actually based on paganism, but I, I really wanted to know, well, how is it based on paganism? Like, everything. <laughs> but, I mean, everything, but, like, how specifically? <laughs> so, that was my little input. Who wants to go next? I can. That's fine. Okay. Um, so, I, ironically, to the fact that I hate Christmas music... Um, chose Christmas carols as a thing, like going Christmas caroling. Um, so uh, essentially, um, there one of the things that is sort of intrinsically linked with how we celebrate Christmas now are Christmas carols. Uh, you think about Christmas carolers, you know, those strangers that walk up to your door and you totally just stand outside and watch them sing, and that's like normal, and then you give them things. Um, you know, that tradition in particular is something that I immediately think of when I think about Christmas. Um, even though I don't think I've ever had a caroler come to my house. I have been a caroler, but I have not had it anyway. So, um, apparently, uh, the, the, uh, practice of Christmas carols, um, were, uh, some of the like very, very early practices for winter and paganism. Um, and so they were sung generally in celebration of a solstice. Um, so out of these sort of prehistoric rituals that they had, uh, we have this sort of, uh, evolution into an English tradition of wassailing, like the wassail that I was talking about is one of my favorite drinks. So many connections. Um, so uh, English would go a wassailing. Um, it's just a word that is derived from a Norse word uh, that means to be well and in good health. Um, okay. So the car- carolers would go around and wassail, or the wassailers would wassail to their friends and neighbors um, with a song and then be like, okay, now give me stuff. 
Um, <laughs> which I think is great and how music works now anyway. Because um, I just speak <laughs> people until they give me things. Um, so as this was going on, the English church was growing and um, this practice were practices uh, this practice and other practices as we've discussed are have been sort of like condemned however much like other traditions that we've talked about already um in 1840 when prince albert and queen victoria got married um he was like hey guys i'm german and i've got all of these traditions and one of them was uh the celebration of yule the winter festival um and Part of that was bringing in these sort of German traditions of evergreen trees, gift giving, and of course, caroling. Um, So then after that, there's this giant cultural shift um, of how people would uh, treat Christmas carols. And it goes completely commercial. Um, So... uh, there's a lot of, um, so this renewed, uh, interest in Christmas is at the same time that there's an industrial revolution in England. They had it first, um, compared to us. And so there's this huge demand for new music. And so people are like, you know, what's really popular right now is this like winter Christmas music. Um, so we might as well start making sheet music out of it. So, uh, basically almost every really popular Christmas carol was written, um, in the decades following the marriage uh, between Prince Albert and Queen Victoria. Most notably, we have things like Jingle Bells, Silent Night, Joy to the World, Good King Wenceslas, and all that sort of stuff. Um, And so uh, recently, there's been more like uh, resurgence on Christmas music. So you have things like Christmas Shoes, I think is a fairly new one. Um, Christmas Shoes? Christmas Shoes. It's, have you not heard... I'm going to go ahead and say no, because I said Christmas shoes. Something about, uh, can you buy these shoes for my mama, please? It's Christmas Eve and the shoes just her size. It's okay. So Christmas shoes is the one about the little boy that's trying to buy shoes for his mom because she's like going to die like soon. And he wants her to be pretty when she meets Jesus. That's sweet, but I've never heard that song. <laughs> it's a Christmas song. It comes on all the time. Okay. Um, so anyway, there's this new resurgence of um, how people look at Christmas music. And so, uh, it, we're going back to having um, even more commercialism in our Christmas in our Christmas carols. So, you know, it's been us and the Victorians um, with these sort of uh, traditions of Christmas carols and sort of trying to bring back um, Christmas carols as like things that we sing to each other, perhaps for things. Um, so, you know, let's see here if I can find any other good examples. But um, so it's gone from being like commercials and selling sheet music to being something that's sold on the radio or constantly played in, um, in, in stores and, uh, you know, in like every building that you pass by. Um, so it's, it's become like a big thing from something that originally, um, was saying, oh, no, it's pagan. We can't do that anymore. Turns out it's fun and people like it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, they did. Like they it. do also say that they've changed a lot of things that were originally not uh, Christmas carols into Christmas carols. So, like, the Handel's Messiah is an Easter song, 
but now it's associated mm-hmm. with Christmas. So it's a lot of things yeah. like that. Or uh, uh, Dashing Through the Snow is a Thanksgiving song, but now it's a Christmas song. <laughs> Look at that. So yeah, so everything is Christmas. Christmas has sucked all the music into its black hole of Christmas. <laughs> and now that's it. And it started off as a bunch of people going around going, la, 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 give me food. Would, would you say it's very similar to the practice of mumming? That we kind of talked about yeah, Halloween, that, but also... That is, I would say that there's a lot of similarities in that is this sort of like group of people just going to sings for their neighbors. And in return, they have sort of this socialization moment um, in the middle of winter, which sucks. And so everyone's just trying to, like, see people that aren't their family and, like, hang out. And it's a good excuse for that. Also, I'm going to, just because I I learned it in this semester being in the uh, TTU Collegium Musicum, a lot of our, not the compositions from the Victorian period, but before then, um, a lot of the Christmas music was based on Spanish Renaissance Viennese. Yeah. And so I actually have some pictures that I'm going to send as examples. And you have like the nooms, uh, like the earlier form oh, uh, that have sort yeah. of the Christmas carols in quotation marks, but it's largely <laughs> just religious music sung during Advent. That's exactly, yeah, that's what's so funny is that all these things that are just religious based that get used for like Christmas caroling. <laughs> a lot of it, you know, a lot of the sort of uh, sort of combining of things is definitely when Catholic church was like the church um, part of the way that a lot of people were converted was, uh, you know the, I, we've talked about this plenty of times, but essentially the Catholic church would be like, oh, you celebrate that? That's like really cool. We like that. Cool. Um, so now that saint, whatever and you can still like talk to them and you know do things, celebrate them, but like they all work for God now. Is <laughs> the, over, <laughs> the oversimplified version of how a lot of that conversion happened. So, honestly, that was probably the best way to put it. You all work for God now, <laughs> but like they all it was a company merging takeover. Well, we've, I, I'm sure I've talked to you guys about this, but how I originally like organized heaven in my brain I would say child brain was that it was a giant corporate building and like God is the CEO but like (laughs) if you've got an issue you don't get to just talk to the CEO about your issue with the company Um, you know if you lost your keys you've got to go over to St. Anthony you know okay. that's how it organized in my brain as a child So, (laughs) so they just brought in new hires the company was expanding. That's a, exactly, that's what I'm saying. Company merging. Yeah. That's how it works. I love that analogy. That's great. It works. Are we ready to talk, learn about the hall? I am. I'm totally ready. <laughs> so, surprise, surprise, I'm going to talk to you about Holly. <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, firstly, I feel like decorating with Holly might have fallen out of favor with some people because I mean I've never decorated my house with holly we do growing up but uh, my family is also not religious like my parents are not in the slightest so Christmas was never a religious holiday it was not about Jesus it was about presents (laughs) it's about consumerism (laughs) 
I mean, we definitely had mistletoe. Well, that's about kissing. <laughs> yeah, which is, is why we had mistletoe. Um, but for Christians, they went ahead and they integrated holly into their Christmas practices. They thought that the holly leaves symbolized the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. And that, because, you know, they're like spiky. Yeah. What a cute... Um, oh, sorry. And sorry, <laughs> Kelly. Hold on, I'm try- gonna try to get her attention. Yeah, that's okay. And I also have to pee, so yeah. you can keep talking. I'll be right back. Pause. It's fine. No, just keep talking. You can completely erase this part of the recording on my end. That's okay. True. See you in a second. Scum. So they. The red berries, they thought it symbolized the blood of Jesus. You know, as he died on the cross. Yeah. I guess because it dripped and looked like a brown ball. Because, you know, if it's a Christmas Christian symbol, it's not supposed to be. Oh, well, yes. Meanwhile, before Christianity, the holly was used, was associated with the god of winter, which was the Holly King. Oh, okay. Um, who engaged in his annual battle with the Oak King. Holly was known as, as a wood that could drive off evil spirits. So, it was, it was good. It was good. The Holly and Oak King each represent one half of the year. At midsummer, the Oak King is at his strongest. And currently, like, rains over the land. We're sort of thinking spring, summer. Yeah. Um... And then as the seasons change, the Holly King sort of regains his power around the autumn equinox. And by midwinter, he's ready to go defeat the Oak King again. Yeah. So that they can split up the year and the seasons change. This tale is commonly attributed to, like, the Celtic and Neo-Pagan faiths. I couldn't really find, like, a source source. Mm-hmm. But I really like it because it is just a direct parallel to when people talk about the fairy courts that have a winter and a summer court, which yeah. is why, like, the Oak King is definitely, like, the summer king. Yeah, definitely. It's just exactly the same. Uh, but also, when we talk about the fairy courts, some some places talk about it differently, and they, they use the terms Seely uh, and Unseely, which basically are, like, dark and light fae. <sighs> which I totally used in Dungeons & Dragons campaign. <laughs> nice. <laughs> But I like that all of those sort of different ways to say things, they are all the same. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate. So, holly was believed to be a sacred plant by the druids. What is your damage, dog? While other plants, you know, sort of wilted and died and went to sleep during the winter, the holly tree remained green and strong. Its berries were always brightly colored, and you can, you know, see them against the the snow and the harsh wintry conditions. I love uh, this image in my mind. It looks so beautiful. (laughs) Um, The Druids regarded holly as a symbol of fertility and eternal life. Cutting down a holly tree was bad luck, but hanging some of the plant in the home brought good luck and protection, including protection from lightning strikes. Okay. Which I guess was a real issue back then. In Roman mythology, holly was the sacred plant of the the sun god Saturn, and to honor him at the Saturnalia festival, the Romans gave each other gifts of holly wreaths. Nice. 
When Christians began to celebrate the birth of Jesus, they risked being persecuted for their new religion. And to avoid detection, they would place these holly wreaths in their house. So when, you know, the Romans walked by during Saturnalia, it appeared that they were celebrating the festival like everybody else, not Christmas. Cool. Sneaky Christians. As Christianity increased in popularity, Holly lost its link to paganism and became a Christian slash Christmas symbol. And then uh, the little tidbit of fun is that Germany believes a sprig of holly used in church decorations will protect homes from lightning. And in England, farmers decorated their beehives with holly because they believed that at the first Christmas, bees hummed in honor of the baby Jesus. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, that's my little tidbit about holly. Cute. I love it. That's cool. We had holly. I had never thought about when I was a kid. Oh, nice. I had never thought about why we use holly in Christmas <laughs> decorations. I, I had assumed like holly and mistletoe and all, like the flowering plants that could actually survive winter. Like, it was, like, just because it happened to still look pretty. And holly and mistletoe are seen as, like, the male and female plants. Yeah. And so, one of the reasons why they're commonly used together. And it's, there were a lot of weird Christmas superstitions that were, like, if a man comes into the house first on New Year's, you're, he'll have the most power in the marriage. But if it's a woman, she'll be, I like how it worded it on this one website. Because it said, he will have more more control, more authority over the marriage. But then I said, if a woman walks in the house first, she will have complete control. <laughs> Which is why I like that punch my husband on the way into the house and be like, me first. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that that's going to slightly cross over into our next episode. So I won't add on, even though I want to add on. Yeah. <laughs> I think it crosses over a lot because like Yule, Yule. has different different lengths for different people for different religions but it tends to bleed over into new year's day yeah well even when i was doing my earlier research for this uh there were scandinavian uh parts of scandinavia that put evergreen actually at new year's eve to prevent evil spirits from entering their barn and i'm like oh well, that's nifty like using evergreen slightly different purpose mm-hmm. it's pretty neat pretty nifty and uh that's that's all we got right now um oh we didn't say we're we are off of our schedule we're doing things kind of early on the recording side but when you hear this episode it will be merry Merry christmas Christmas. happy holidays happy whatever you celebrate festivus happy merry saturnalia festivus like whatever you celebrate, have fun, be safe. That's just do something nice have this winter. Yule. You know, treat yourself. Have some hot chocolate or a wassail. <laughs> or a wassail. What, whatever floats your boat. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, possibly, you can email us at possiblyhauntedpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> If you want to see the visual representations of what we talk about, follow us on Instagram at the Possibly Haunted Podcast. Um, I ask questions, or like we ask, we ask questions um, about twice a week. So if you want to answer, you know, yeah. talk to us because we want you to talk to us. Um, follow us on Facebook at the Possibly Haunted Podcast. If you think you have any Christmas traditions that might be rooted in either, you know, paganism or something that your family just totally made up and 
Has that thing to do with actual Christmas? Like, do you leave something else out for Santa other than cookies and milk? Because I know a family that did pickles and tang. Bourbon. (laughs) I know a family who leaves out churros, and I'm like, I will be your Santa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we also have Twitter, possibly not a pot. (laughs) I forgot about Twitter. I forget about Twitter, too. (laughs) We're bad millennials. Well... (laughs) Okay. Well, Christmas is it's not really you know, we need a like possession haunting movie set at Christmas. I don't have enough of those. That's not the same. That's not a possession haunting movie. But I was I was with you though. I have a really scary Krampus movie well scary Krampus yeah. movie. But this is this wasn't a very haunted episode. Which, that's okay. We can take a break from Christmas. the haunted, I guess, at Christmas time. But, you know, like, right after you open presents, go watch yourself a horror movie. And that one <laughs> It balances it out. Even though you're surrounded by Christmas and all those stupid happy faces, you can watch a horror movie and know with a surety that even at Christmas, you can be possibly haunted. Yay! Woo!